Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. Last Sunday was one of the greatest receptions a message has ever received, been received in this church from this pastor. And I thank you for being back today for round two of There Is More. I'm going to, I'm going to preach some things today that seem to be angled against one another. They don't seem to fit. They seem like they're adjacent to, but not a part of, not parallel with. But when it's all said and done, when the, when the final amen is said, you're going you're gonna to catch the whole concept. Because I feel with everything that's in me that the best that God has is not behind us. The best that God has is still to come. There is more. There is more. There really is. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And to that today I add Colossians chapter 1, that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. That you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Can you clap your hands and say, I love that word. That's a good word today. That's a good word. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor and you may be seated. God bless you. Amen. So a little girl comes up to her mother one day and says, Mom, why do you cut the ends off the meat before you cook it? The girl's mother went on to tell her she thought that cutting the ends of the meat added flavor by allowing the meat that was cut on the end to absorb the spices better. Perhaps she, had, she needed to ask her grandma because she had learned it from her. So the little girl goes to grandma and she said, Grandma, ask the same question. Why do you and mom cut the ends off the meat. And the grandma thought for a moment. She said, I think it allows the meat to stay tender because it soaks up the juices. But why don't you go ask your nana? Because after all, I learned it from her. She's always done it that way. So the little girl's getting frustrated. She climbs up in her great-grandmother's lap and she asks, Nana, why do you and mom and grandma always cut the ends off your meat before you cook it? And Nana said, well, I don't know why your mom and grandma do it, but I did it because my pot wasn't big enough. Well, that's funny. Most of us walk through life blindly without knowing purpose, real purpose for what we're here to do. One of golf's immortal moments came when a Scotsman introduced and demonstrated the new game that he had learned of golf to President Ulysses S. Grant. Carefully placing the ball on the tee, the Scotsman took a mighty swing and the club hit the turf 
and scattered dirt all over the president's beard and surrounding vicinities while the ball waited placidly on the tee. Again, the Scotsman swung and again he hit the ground. Again, it splattered in the president's face. And the president waited patiently through six wings and then quietly stated, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in the game, but I failed to see the purpose of the ball. He never hit it. President Grant made a statement that could be true about many lives. There seems to be a fair amount of exercise, but sometimes we just exercise and fail to see our purpose. How many people have much activity in their lives, yet little or no progress in their lives? For all the busyness in each of our lives, are we getting anywhere? Are we going anywhere? Is there a purpose for it all or is it just exercise? Purpose gives meaning to our lives. Can you say amen to that? Last week we taught there is more and we believe that God has done some great things for us, but we don't believe that God's finished with us yet. And we believed our second point last week that God really does want to do more for us in our lives. And then we talked about there's times that we have to throw out the old to take in the new. And we talked about that. But do we really live on our yesterday experiences? Do we really let our yesterday encourage us? Or do we let our yesterday discourage us? Or are we waiting as Martha was for the rapture, for the resurrection of the church when her brother would rise again and not the fact that God could do something for her today? Can we reach and believe that God has better things in front of us? Can we still serve? Can he still serve? Hear me. Not the best wine then, but the best wine now. Can God still give us things now? Will we allow every day to be a blessed day? Everybody say a blessed day. The question needs to be asked, folks. It really does. Are we living? Are we truly, truly living? Or are we just existing? Can I preach to you today? See, there's a difference, there's a tremendous difference between the word living. It's been defined as vigorous, alive, and full of life. That's what living is. Existing is defined as to have being, to just being there. I want some people at Christian Life Church in 2015 to pull off all restraints and allow yourself to see some things that you've never seen before and to be some things you've never been before. And to walk with God in some realms you've never walked with him before. I'm not trying to create a super spiritual church. I'm trying to create people that understand we're here for more than just bodily exercise. We're here for the purpose of fulfilling the will of God in our lives, in our families' lives, and in this church. Can you clap your hands and say amen to that? So many people wake up. And they follow a routine every day. And there's nothing wrong with a routine. I follow it. But they go about their business. They have no real sense of purpose in their life. Their happiness and their fulfillment of life depends largely on others or on circumstances. If they are completely honest, they would admit inside that they're empty. That they're not filled to the brim with life. Now, I'm not saying we have to change and live lives of liberality with a new wild change every day, wearing your hair orange today and red tomorrow and purple the next day. No, 
However, we can learn to live lives that are full of vigor and are full of livelihood rather than being content to just being of just existing. Here's what I want to preach. I don't mind routine, but I hate routine of the same attitude that follows that routine every day. I think somewhere in our lives, the thing that matters most in our lives is not what we do, but it's how we do what we do. What kind of attitude we have. Listen, Jesus Christ does not want you living with one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. He does not want you to look forward to death. He wants you to look forward to life. I remember going to a PAW church a long time ago and a 93-year-old preacher got up and he said, I'm not looking forward to dying. I'm looking forward to flying. I wish some 80-something, some 70-something, some 60-something, some 50-somethings would get a brand new attitude this year. Not necessarily change your routine, but change your mindset and say, I am going to be what God wants me to be in 2015. There is more. There is more. There is more. There is more. Wow. Now I'm going to give you three things to enjoy the more of God. I'm going to give you three things. First and foremost, I want to say to you another Latin phrase. Everybody say carpe diem. You got to seize the day. Everybody say seize every day. I'm going a step further. Not just seize the day. You got to seize every day. If you surveyed the United States of America, most people would say that they want a life that will seize the day. No one wants life to be mediocre. We want our lives to be full. Can I get a witness on that right now? We really want more. We want everything we can get out of every day. Really, we do. Yet, we're wrapped up in deadlines. Let me preach. And commitments and problems and priorities. And it just doesn't always happen. And so we do not seize any day, much less seizing the day. We're all, we're, there, there are ways to seize the day, to seize every day of your life. And the apostle Paul had it down to an art and wrote it in a way to seize the day in one of his apostles, to seize life. And he wrote it this way. Now, I, w- I want you to watch it with me. I want you to put it on the screen, Colossians chapter 1. He said, giving thanks to the Father. Say it with me. Giving thanks to the Father. Everybody say, every day when I get up. I got to give thanks to the Father. Now watch this. Who has made us partakers? Everybody say, I'm a partaker of the inheritance. I'm in the inheritance. I'm in it. I'm in it. I may not get anything when mom and dad die. I may not get anything when somebody passes in my family. But I'm in the inheritance of Almighty God. Everybody say, I'm a son of God. Come on, I'm a son of God. Would you say that? I'm a son of God. I am somebody special in the kingdom of God. Everybody say, I'm I'm a partaker in the inheritance. Watch this. Who has delivered us. Everybody say, I've been delivered from the power of darkness. You need to pray this prayer every morning. I'm a partaker. I've been delivered. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sin. Everybody say, I am a partaker. I'm a partaker. Everybody say, I've been delivered. Everybody say, I've been translated. 
Everybody say, I've been redeemed. Everybody say, I've been forgiven. Does that put a different attitude in your head on Sunday morning? One verse. Does that put a new attitude in your head? I'll say it this way. P-D-T-R-F. Say it. P-D-T-R-F. P-D-T-R-F. What are you saying? I'm a partaker. I've been translated. I've been delivered. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. Anybody want to clap their hands at that? That's pretty good stuff right there. I love this. I love this. Like it or not, the IRS knows their purpose for existing. The IRS has a handbook and it states this in their handbook. You ready? During a state of national emergency resulting from enemy attacks, the essential function of the IRS service will be as follows. Assessing, collecting, and recording taxes. When the world's on fire and darkness fails the sun and the moon turns to blood, the IRS will still be assessing and collecting and recording taxes. When tsunamis hit Austin, when hurricanes come our way and every building in town is blown away, the IRS will be assessing and collecting and recording taxes. You know why? Because they know their purpose. The only way to get into the more of living is to not allow national emergencies to rob you of your real purpose. Because every morning you need to get up with the attitude, I'm a partaker ha, of the inheritance of God. Come on, say it. I've been delivered from the power of darkness. I've been translated to the kingdom of his son. I've been redeemed through his blood. And I've been forgiven of all my sins. Come on, we don't let things bother us. We need to get up every morning and say, there is more that God has for me in my life. But you lost your job today. I'm still a partaker. I'm still a partaker. I've still been delivered. I've still been translated. I've still been redeemed. I'm still forgiven. I prayed for people down here today. And they were saying, Pastor, pray for me for this and that and the other. And when I got through praying, I said, oh, God, let me preach this today. Let them understand that they're partakers no matter what happens. That they've been delivered no matter what happens. That they've been translated no matter what happens. That they've been redeemed no matter what happens. And that they've been forgiven of their sins no matter what happens in their life. What's the primary purpose of an ink pen? It's to write. I have a $125 Mont Blanc at the house that I don't carry anymore because it's quit writing. Somebody gave it to me as a gift. It's a nice pen, but it doesn't fulfill its purpose right now. You got a pen? Yeah. Does it write? No. <laughs> so it doesn't fulfill its purpose. When it comes time to endorse a check, you'll bypass the emptied solid gold pen with a little snow on top of its cap and go for a 29-cent bick that works. I don't want some 29-cent bick out praising you and your purpose for Almighty God. Come on. Everybody say, I'm a partaker. One more time, I'm a partaker. I've been delivered. I've been translated. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
and the fellowship of his suffering becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. Everybody say, I must seize seize. Every every day. Every day. Not just some days, but every day. My routine don't have to change. I just have to seize the day. The second thing I want to tell you, and it doesn't even seem like it fit, is here it is. The second thing I want to share with you is some people, the reason they get stuck and they can't pass through some things is that they don't think big enough. Everybody say, God's bigger than all my problems. He's bigger than all my fears. He's bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. He's bigger. He's bigger. He's bigger. You can't magnify the Lord. He's already magnified. But David said, magnify the Lord with me. You know what David was saying? He said, get God so big that your problems look very small. Get God so big in your life that things that you think used to bother you don't bother you anymore. You know, I've told you this before, but you can put a penny over your eye right here and block out the sun. But you put it out at arm's length and you can see all the sun you want to see. Sometimes we get too close to a penny's worth of problems. And we don't allow ourselves to see the sun of righteousness shining in our lives. I'm telling you, God is bigger. Come on, say it with me. God is bigger. Job said God is on top of everything. He's on top of everything. It's he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. Heaven's his throne. The earth is his footstool. He taps his foot on this earth and says, I'm for you, kid. Come on. Somebody needs to start thinking, there's a big God in my world. There's a big God in my life. There's a big God for my family. There's a big God for my business. There's a big God for my whole future. God's mighty. He's massive. He's big. He's awesome. There's a big God, a big God, a big God. And the second thing I'm going to add to that, they don't start small enough. Some people say, you know, pastor, I feel like I need to be an astronaut. So I'm going to go take a, a little cleft note course in it. I'm going to go down to Houston down here to Webster. I'm going to tell them I'm ready to be an astronaut. I've read a 29-page manual. It's about the same way with people, you know. And they say, you know, I think I'm going to be a millionaire. Well, what you doing right now? One nothing. I'm just waiting on God to tell me what to do. <laughs> they don't start small enough. Let me preach to you a little bit. You need to start where you are with what you have. You don't need to look at somebody else and say, if I had theirs, I could do better. Start right where you are and start making trips forward and making steps forward in the kingdom of God. Start where you are. Give yourself to the process of birthing something bigger in your life. Imagine God doing something good in your life. We must not limit God with our limited thinking. Instead of limiting him, we need to lift our eyes to the possibilities that, and create space in our mind, in our imagination for God to work with because God can take any of us from where we are to more. To more. 
I've asked God, even in this series, to let me be a better communicator than I've ever been in my life. I want more of what God has given to me. I'm not satisfied with being the preacher I was in 2014. I want to be a better communicator. I want to reach more people with the gospel. I want to share the gospel of love and grace to everybody I see. And I want to be that. And I'm pushing for it. I'm gaining for it. And I know I'm thinking real big when I tell you that we could have five to 10,000 people here someday real soon. But we got to start small. And we got to believe every Sunday and every day that God's working on our behalf to do great and mighty things in the kingdom of God. Can I preach to you today? Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Tipping Point. New York City, when I first went several years ago, was a zoo. I, I told somebody they put a, should put a fence around it and charge admission. It was a zoo. It was absolutely the most uncivilized place that you could go in North America. It really was. But a mayor came along and started doing something to fix a great big city. He had big thoughts, but he started small. You know what he started doing? He started going into the, the ghetto areas and the high-crimed areas. And when those little thug kids would break windows, he would go in the very next hour and start fixing those windows. It was called the broken window theory. He just started fixing windows. And when they would scratch their graffiti on the wall, he'd come in within 24 hours and overpaint it and paint it back over again. He wanted to fix a great big city. He had a great big plan. But he started small. He started just fixing broken windows. You know what else he did? He'd pull a subway over after about a two or three hour run and he'd put a cleaning crew on it and they'd run in that cleaning crew, ever have four or five people in every car and they'd clean that subway up. They'd shine it up. It'd make you look like you was on a brand new subway. And you know what? People started saying, wow, somebody matters. Somebody cares about what's going on around here. And they started doing the little things, just the little bitty things. And all of a sudden, it grew to a great big thing. The Bible says in, in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people will perish. Kind of reminds me of a story of two men several years ago, years ago, before the railroad was ever even a, an, an issue in North America, went to work for the railroad on the same day, the same day. And years later, when the Transatlantic Railroad came together in middle America, one of the men that started the day the railroad started putting itself together was standing on the back of the coach and he was making a speech how it was a great progress day for the railroads to come together. But in the audience was the other man, the other man that started the same day. And somebody asked him, said, didn't you start at the railroad the same time? He said, we started the same day. He said, well, what's the difference? There he is making a speech. He's the president. You're here without a job. He said, the difference is he thought big and he went to work for the railroad. I thought small and I started working for 25 cents a day. I never cared about making myself a life. I just wanted to make myself a living. Here's what I want to tell you. I don't care what business you're in right now. I don't care what your phase in life is right now. God has more for you in 2015. You hear me? God's got more for you. Why don't you start seeing the great big picture of seeing what God can do for your business? Why don't you see what God can do for your life? Why don't you see what God can do for your family? And then start walking in baby steps toward it and see what God will do in your life. Come on, clap your hands. That's good stuff. Dwight L. Moody said it this way. Dwight L. Moody said, if God is your partner, make your plans big. 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 There is more. 
Second Kings chapter three is a story of three kings. They're going to battle and fight their freedom for their freedom from their oppressors. And as they get prepared, they realize they're running low on water. It's a good story. They know their troops can't fight without water and there's been a great drought. And so they leave their camp and go and look for an audience with Elisha. And after sharing their story, Elisha starts to speak prophetically. Here's what he says. Bring me a minstrel. Hallelujah. Bring me somebody that can play some music. Do y'all like music around here? A lot of you folks come and you put up with me, but you come to hear Randy and the praise singers in the choir. And I know that. Thank you for staying around for the preaching. You know, I, I, used, I used to see this. When I was with the singing group, everybody wanted my autograph. But when I go preach, nobody wants it. Everybody just loves singers. But that word gets on them. I've never hardly signed an autograph being a preacher, but boy, when I used to sing, they'd say, can I have your autograph? Yes, dear, I sing baritone. <laughs> Amen. So you come for the music, but you got to stay for the preaching because you don't want to embarrass the preacher. Amen? Is that right? But here's what I want to tell you. Elisha said, I've got to have somebody to set the mood. I need a mood to be set. And time the mood is set, when I get up to preach, God's going to fill this whole place full of water. God's going to send water. You hear me? You're not going to see the rain. You're not going to hear the wind. But water's going to be here in the morning. He was talking big. Everybody say he was talking big. There's going to be enough water to feed you. There's going to be enough water to feed your cattle. There's going to be enough water to feed your horses. There's going to be enough water to water everybody. Water's going to be here. And you're not going to hear the wind. You're not going to see the rain. How can that happen? Then he started talking small. He said, okay, there's a hitch. You've got to dig a ditch. Anybody want to dig a ditch? Anybody want to start digging? Here's the key, folks. Here's the key. I read this in history. Here's the key. The key is this, that they didn't hear the wind. They didn't see the rain because it happened up in the mountains. It didn't rain on them. It rained up in the mountains and God let a river run down into the valley. God don't want to rain on you every day. He don't want storms to hit you. But he wants your water. He wants your valley to be full of water. Is anybody, does anybody, does anybody want to get a shovel in your hand and start digging a ditch? Because God's got a rain coming from elsewhere that's going to come down on your life and going to bless your soul and going to touch your family and going to give you strength for 2015. If they hadn't have dug those ditches, the water would have ran right through the valley. But because they dug holes and ditches, it had to go somewhere and water goes to the least resistance. And it fell in that valley and fell in those ditches and fell in those holes and they had water. Sometimes you got to think big, but you got to start small and say, God is with me. God is with me. Let me finish this message, this diatribe, whatever you want to call it. The third thing, in order to see more of God and more for us. We must stop worrying and stressing and give our burdens to the Lord. Give me that bottle of water, Randy, please. Give me that bottle of water. I threw water out last week. I'm going to make another illustration today. This thing right here holds about 16.9 ounces, okay? So I'm going to drink a little bit of it down. A little more. 
y'all want some? No, I'm teasing. That's about eight ounces right there, okay? It's about eight ounces. Do you realize, do you realize that a dense fog can cover a seven-city block area of a city? And when it covers that seven-area block, seven-block area of a city, it's composed of less than one normal eight-ounce glass of water. It's divided into billions of droplets. Such a small amount of water can create such gloom, it'll cripple an entire city. Jesus warned us, it's the little foxes that will destroy the tender branches. Worry and anxiety are like that. Just a small amount can settle on you like a great cloud of gloom and keep you from enjoying the more of your life. Oh, let me preach right now, God. Let me preach right now. I want to declare to you, fear deteriorates the quality of lives that can, and can even destroy us physically and especially mentally. But faith breathes life and joy into our bodies. And in faith, we find complete wholeness from the Lord. Jesus tried to change our focus from fear to faithfulness when he said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you more valuable than they are? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Now, I know that problems come. Let me preach right now. I know that situations happen. Let me preach right now. But a child of God that's a partaker. Come on now. You've been a partaker. You're a partaker. You hear me? You've been delivered. You've been translated. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. That shouldn't cause you concern in your life. Come on. God is greater. God is bigger. God is more awesome than anything that comes against you in your life. There is more. So why don't we do this? Our kids went to a thing recently and it was called the Great Exchange and I love the name of it and I'm going to throw it out to you today. Why don't we give our worry to the Lord? Give our stress to the Lord and take His mercy and His grace back to us and His faith. Do you think that God when you're trying as hard as you can try, you think God's just going to let you fall down and never get back up? Do you think God's going to treat you like that? Never, never, never. He's for you. God is for you. Boy, I feel preachy today. I feel like preaching today. I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm jumbled a little bit because my three points don't even act like they fit together. But I'm telling you, God is for you today. God is with you today. He wants you to see more than you've ever seen in your life from Him today. And I said it the other day and I'm going to say it again. It's time to stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is. Come on now. Everybody say, I've got to seize every day. 
I don't mean, I don't mean change my routine so much. It means change my attitude. I've got to think big and be willing to start small. And I have to give my worry and my stress and my concern to the Lord. I was 27 years old and and, and, and I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted a breakthrough. I wanted a breakthrough. I wanted a breakthrough in, in multicultural ministry. I wanted a breakthrough. And one day I, I walked into a black gym, Keast Park. Nobody was there, white but me. And they looked at me like, what are you doing here? And I, I walked up to one guy and I said, I've come to teach you guys how to play basketball. <laughs> That's a fact. I was the same old me then as I am now. I was about 27 years old, but I loved people. And they said, man, so they wouldn't choose me. Nobody wanted me on their team. But all I had to say is, if I'd have said I was a preacher, they'd have had me. Because they, they love preachers. I found that out a long time ago. But one day when the plan was over, I, I asked this six, eight kid, I said, you want to do a little one-on-one? You want to play me? He laughed in my face. He didn't know my best friend in high school was an all-American black boy that could play basketball like nobody's business. And I could beat him sometimes. And he loved me and I loved him. He's my best friend. And I wanted a multicultural church so bad. And so I played this guy and I said, I'm going to do one thing. And when I get through doing this, you're going to choose me on your team. I want the ball. And I started dribbling. And I could do that stuff, you know, between your legs. No, I could do all that. I could do all that. I'm bragging, but I could do all that. <laughs> and I had a crossover before Tim Hardaway was ever born. <laughs> And I crossed him over. He stumbled. I rose up and flipped a jump shot from about 15 feet that swished, hit the bottom of the net. And I said, thank you. It's been a good day. I'll be back and play. He said, I want you on my team. <laughs> he said, who are you? What are you? I said, well, I pastor a church right down the road here. I'm trying to get some guys to come to church. A few weeks later, there was a couple came to our church. And he came down and received the Lord in his life. I baptized him. And then I found out his real situation. He was a black panther. And a black panther had a tremendous hate for everybody except his race. And I'll never forget as long as I live, my anxiety level was off the chain because I didn't want to say or do anything that would maybe hurt his feelings because I didn't know if he'd come after me or not. You know, he was a panther. And they had, a, they had a code and they lived by that code and I was a preacher and I lived by another code. And one day I was preaching and I got to thinking about how big my God was and I just, I just stopped what I was doing. I never have told this story. And I went to the back, the kitchen was right back and I got a pail of water and I went and I put it in front of his feet and I said, I'm gonna wash your feet today, sir, I'm preaching. The law of grace will always outlive the law of hate. 
You hear me. This church is based on the love of God. This church is not based on trying to get above somebody or beat somebody out of something. This church is based on the grace of God and the love of God and the peace of God and everybody matters. Come on, clap your hands for that. I gave it to him. 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 And God Almighty restored my joy and brought that young man around. And I became the hero down at the rec center because I was a pastor that loved people. Love always wins. I don't care what your stress is. I don't care what your anxiety level is. I don't care what's causing it. Love always wins. Love always wins. Now watch this. I'm going to wrap this up now. You ready? I'm going to wrap this up. Not only did those people get water in 2 Kings chapter 3, not only did they not see the rain or hear the wind, it happened on a mountain and it rushed down to the valley, but they had dug ditches to hold it. Not only did they have water, you know what else they had? God gave them more. He gave them victory over their enemy. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. God just don't want to up your pay. God just don't want to give you a promotion on your job. He wants to give you victory over everything that would bring gloom and despair and doubt in your life. He wants to bring things that will give you hope and help over your distrust, over your fears, over your anxieties, over your past failures in life. He said, I've got something bigger. I just don't want to give you water. I want to give you victory. is for us. I got a call this week from a young man that's in our church and I close. Randy, if you'll help me. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, folks. If your team don't win, you're a partaker. Come on now. Come on now. You've been delivered. You've been translated. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. Oh my God. I could preach all night on that. But I got a call this week. The man said, I want you to pray with me, Pastor. He said, I got this thing ahead of me. He said, God's given me a a little plan, just this little plan. And I've got got this thing ahead of me. And if I can get it into the right person's hands, Pastor, the whole state of Texas is going to be affected by this by this he said I want you to pray with me we prayed we believe God and he said pastor it's such a simple thing but it has such a profound effect and he said just pray I'll get an audience it's supposed to go down this week who knows who knows what is ahead for a young man that's just going to step out and trust God who knows how the whole state of Texas is going to be. I bet some of you are saying, what in the Sam Hill is it? I'd like to go get it patented before he has it. No, it's not something you patent. It's something you've got to talk about. 
It's something for our kids all over Texas. And here's what I want to tell you. God's going to give you dreams and ideas and plans and goals. He's going to do that this year because he's saying there's more. There is more. And when you fall in love with Jesus Christ, you hear me. Love always wins. You hear me? Love always. It beats every law. It destroys every law. It conquers every law. Love always wins. And it's going to win this year at Christian Life Church. Everybody say, there's more. There is more. God's got more for me. God's got more for my family. Come on, say it. God's got more for our church. God's got more for my future. God's got more. If you'll buy in, if you'll buy in. Every Sunday, people walk up on the, on the porch. And the reason I had people, I wanted people to get prayed for early because I thought I might preach till 1045 today. I really did. I feel like preaching some more. I'm not quite through, but I'm going to stop. And if Super Bowl goes into overtime next Sunday, I'm going to go into overtime. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. God wants you to step into a dimension. Not of super spirituality. No, 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 no. Not where you can say, well, I'm spiritual and you're not. No, 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 no. It's an area of growth in your life that says, I trust you with everything. That's in me. I trust you. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.